So hey, Prague fans, as you guys probably know, we UP3 show guys, we're located here in the high city of Denver. And truthfully, a really bad tragedy happened here in our local area in the past 24 hours with a mass shooting at a local grocery store chain in Boulder. And personally, just heartbreaking to see what's happening in our community. And just want to acknowledge that that's happening and just breaks my heart. It's shitty that it happened, happened in our backyards. And uh, it's yeah. it's gotten way too commonplace. Yeah, too yeah. commonplace. Sadly, it's true. Shaking our worlds. There's there's people we know that were involved in this, so we shouldn't have to accept this. We can do better. Yeah. So we'll acknowledge that, and we'll get on with the show. And hopefully, you guys find some entertainment here. Hey, Prague fans, welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I am joined here by Craig and Lee. We are three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter at UP3Show, or you can contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you just can't get enough of us and our stupid jokes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button at our homepage at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. This makes sure that you never miss an episode and helps us go up in the rankings so other prog fans find the show. What are we doing in the ratings? You know, I haven't checked in a little while. Up like a rocket? Up like something. I know that our, our listenership is exploding. I do know that. I think exploding is the right word. Yeah, exploding. Uh, yeah, like Sunday night after the Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, the last time I took a look at our metrics, I was actually really surprised at where we have listeners. We had a whole bunch in the Middle East, which kind of caught me off guard. I'm really excited about that. And then we had a whole bunch of downloads from the Russian Federation. That's weird. Yeah. And Scandinavia, which I'm glad about. Yeah, me too. Scandinavian rocks. How's our New Jersey listenership? You know what? The, exactly like the listenership in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> our listener in New Jersey. I have a bunch of New Jersey friends, but they're VPN'd in through uh, the Soviet Union. Oh, there you go. That's it. Okay. That's what's going on. That's what it is. <laughs> they're throwing off the feds. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We don't listen to Prague. No. No, not at all. It's Bruce Springsteen all the way. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Mariah Carey. <laughs> Um, as we normally do, as we get, I'm, you guys have kind of broken me here. As we get started tonight, we'll do the rounds and uh, check in on what we've been up to a little bit here. So I'll start with you, Lee. What have you been up to since we talked last? Really, really excited about this episode. And um, I am playing around with my VSTs again. Don't tell anybody. You'll go blind if you do that. <laughs> but yeah, I've been finding some symphonic uh, open source libraries and been playing around with writing some symphonic music in the studio. So a little bit of a switch here. Symphonic prog. I can't wait for your Camelot-esque record. <laughs> there you go. How about you, Craig? I have been listening to a ton of jazz piano. Like I think I told you guys, I'm taking some jazz piano lessons. And I've been listening to Gene Harris. And uh, he has a very distinctive style, very high energy. So what I did is I went up to YouTube and found somebody who analyzed the style of Gene Harris. And I learned the way he does it, just a couple licks. And in playing the licks, it's like the piano solo in Elizabeth Reed uh, from Allman Brothers. Really? Yeah, it's crazy because it's just, you know, like a pentatonic blues scale, very percussive. And so I've been driving my wife nuts playing a portion of the jam from Elizabeth Reed over and over and over uh, on the piano in our house. I love that song. Nice. Almond Brothers. It's, that's awesome. It's great. And uh, yeah, the piano is, is really, it's very sweet. Nice. That's awesome. And you know, for me on my part, I haven't really done much other than work until this past weekend when I was recording some VO for work and I was just getting a bunch of audio artifacts here recording in my office and I didn't like it. So 
I decided to make some big DIY sound baffles and uh, panels to go on the walls, and I did a whole bunch of sound conditioning here, and I think it's making a positive impact on, on my audio quality on the mic here. So, yeah. You sound great. It looks good, too. You can see them in the back. So, yeah, and I actually found like a really easy-to-do YouTube tutorial on how to do it. I think the most expensive part of it was the rock wool insulation that goes in it, because that's what they use as the dampening material. But, mm. yeah, not hard to do. Cool. Your voice is very soothing now. I got to say that. My voice is? You want some ASMR here, Craig? Just kind of rub on the microphone that for you. <laughs> All right. Those of you following at home can't see, but uh, Tony is caressing uh, the foam ball on his microphone. Yes, I am. <laughs> this, before this gets any weirder, because it's probably going to, we usually like to go around and talk about prog news and new albums. And I want to throw it immediately to you, Lee, because you had quite a list and I want your opinions on most of them. So what do you got for news and albums? Liquid Tension Experiment 3 is delayed. Sounds like they had printing errors. Boo. Yeah, boo. April 16th now is the new release date. So we will be patient and wait. Hey, Amazon, I pre-ordered from you. I would appreciate getting this record on time. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask that question down the road. So how is the transatlantic delivery going? What's going on with your going? saga? Yeah. Your Amazon saga. I, I will touch on that in a moment. Okay. I want to hear Lee's. Okay. All right. Good enough. New Kayak coming out May 7th. I am really looking forward to that. Out of this world. Mm-hmm. New Terame is coming out. Sorella Minorte on May 11th, which I'm looking forward to. Nurse, the Swedish band, is hinting at a new album. Uh, no date for that yet. Bola, also a Swedish band. Album Witness, coming out May 31st. And... Dun, 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 Frost! Yes. Yes. New Frost coming out May 14th, Day and Age. And they released their very first track this week. What did you think of that single? What did you think? Yeah, of that let's single, talk about man? that single, man. Terrestrial. So what do you think, Lee? I liked it on first listen. It does have a little bit different feel to it, I think primarily because John Mitchell is doing the singing on this one. He sings on other Frost tracks, don't get me wrong, but usually Jem does most of the vocals in Frost. But to me, the chorus is just straight ahead Frost. The verses, I think, maybe had a little bit different sound, but I really enjoyed it. What about you? I was going to say almost the opposite. My first listen to it was meh. Because it, to me, felt so much like a Frost song with just tweaks here and there. After additional listenings, I love it. It really feels like more good Frost music and is very unique in its own right. And I needed to listen to it without the video. I found the video very distracting. That's a good comment. Once I tuned that out and turned it off, it stood on its own at that point. Cool. What about you, Tony? It's interesting what Craig mentioned about the video, because I've listened to the song a dozen times, and I've seen the video once. Usually when I listen to it, I'm listening to it in my car from the YouTube, so I just like have Bluetooth, and I'm listening to it that way, so I'm not actually seeing the video. Mm -hmm. And I love that song. I'm a recent convert to this cult, and so it's the first release out where I'm like, oh, it's a new bit of content from them, and I'm part of that whole shared experience kind of thing. Right. It's got all the the normal prog metal elements that I really enjoy, so I like it a lot. I'm looking forward to the final record. Me too. Same, same. Cool. I'm surprised you dropped the ball on one I was expecting you to talk about. Which one? New DT. Oh, damn. Man, slap me around. Frost has completely replaced DT. I mean, I think that that's... (laughs) No, go for it. You're already doing it, so... As it should be. You started it. Go for it. So I'm not really necessarily going to talk about DT specifically here, but I want to put into context what's going on here. Like all the bands that Lee just mentioned and Frost and DT and then Aryan has mentioned there's a new Star One record coming on. So as crappy as 2020 was in so many ways, and that is so true, I am hoping that the icing on this cake of shit will be a lot of really great music because a lot of artists had some time to just stew and write really great music. Yep, I agree. So New Dream Theater, they're saying September-ish now, so quite a bit out. I believe drums are done if you read the Twitterverse from Mangini. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now there's Twitter postings of Labrie singing, so... Oh, really? Yeah, I would think they're far enough along, but September's 
pretty far out. Yeah, I thought I had seen something from Petrucci, too, where he was preparing for his solo, and there was, like, an interview or something where he was like, yeah, I was, like, time-splitting between finishing up solo work and the DT work, so I don't know, whatever's going on there. Right. For sure, I knew they were writing, but I September is the first I'd heard of a date. Yep, same here. So anything about news for you guys? Like, anything you want to bring up in the prog world? I mean, we had talked a little bit about festivals and shows. I was noticing uh, this past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of concert news. So it sounds like things are starting to shake loose a little bit. I'm not going to go down a giant list, but the two that caught my eye of upcoming concerts, and by upcoming, I mean like next year, Yes has rescheduled their Relayer tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the uh, Steve Hal Yes, not the Rick Wakeman Yes. Anyway, they're going to be touring UK uh, in March 22 timeframe, about a year from now. It just feels like, you know, now the vaccines are out, things are really kind of starting to shake loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that really is fascinating to me that I had no idea they were even still together is 10CC. Uh, they are also doing mm-hmm. a UK tour at about the same time. And I would love to see them. I used, I, back in the day, I thought they were just the shit. They were great. And then uh, along those lines, Steve Wilson uh, has announced that he is canceling his tour. Yes. Uh, he said it just financially, it just doesn't make sense because you got to kind of keep people on the payroll and yeah, keep rehearsing. And, you know, he's got so much other music that he's working on that he's kind of doing a refocusing. Yeah. yeah. The only one I was going to throw in there that's kind of along those lines is that the evangelical revival that masquerades as a music festival called Morse Fest is still <laughs> intending to go ahead on the 8th and 9th of October. Where is that? I don't know. I think it's Nashville. Is it Nashville? Oh, well. I don't really care, and I'm picking on Neil Morse here a little bit. Someone's got to be first. That's what I want to see, is I want to see who does this first in the era of post-COVID, and what does a concert experience look like, and like how does that all work? Right. Because I do want to get back to shows. I just want to do it safely. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into our interview with Deck here, I'm going to bring in part of what we normally do in the outro of what you've been listening to, and then one or two little recommendations from you or, or things you want people to take away from this show tonight. My recommendation is directly from this interview. It's Deck's work with the band Dilemma. The album is called Random Acts of Liberation. And the more I listen to it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. It's a great prog rock record, but it also has a real variety of styles, and they can switch styles really in the middle of songs. It's, I'm pretty impressed with it. The execution, the recording is clean. I just really like everything about it. Yeah, so pick up Dilemma, Random Acts of Liberation. Awesome. And what about you, Craig? I heartily recommend uh, Darwin's Radio. Same thing, though. It's very straight-ahead prog. What I enjoyed, it's find the Genesis Easter eggs. There's a couple of places in some of the first Darwin Radio where it's like, oh, he just ripped off ripples. <laughs> it's tasteful. It's totally, it's, it's awesome. Cool. Awesome. And you know, mine is going to be directly related to this talk with Deck as well, and mine is not related to yours at all in those ways. I really, really, really loved, and you'll hear me fanboy a little bit about this in the interview, the Audioplastic release. I just love Audioplastic, and I've been listening to it a lot. The name of the record is In the Head of a Maniac. It just takes me back to my angsty teenage years in a very warm, inviting way. And we have talked previously on the show about giving shout-outs to small indie folks or other folks in the scene. And it just so happens that recently um, I had two of them I've been talking with a a fair amount. And the first is a small little indie Finnish band called Fireproven. They caught up with me on Twitter and they added me to their list. So if you guys are listening, thank you very much. You guys can find them on Twitter at FireprovenBand or find their bandcamp at fireproven.bandcamp.com. They're a dual vocalist band, male-female. They give me vibes of like Lacuna Coil, Within Temptation, or Amaranth. Then the last is another fellow prog journalist that goes by the handle on Twitter and Instagram as Notes Reviews. So it's at Notes Reviews. He's a really knowledgeable guy. He's super geeky and quirky. He mm-hmm. hits a lot of the Venn diagram that uh, I'm in because he hits the prog music stuff and the D&D tabletop RPG stuff and like all the weird stuff. So uh, a shout out to him as well. I follow him and he's terribly entertaining. Go. Cool. Yeah, he's awesome. And so without further ado, let's go talk to Deck Burke. 
I am really excited to welcome our first guest on a UP3 interview. The way I got introduced to Declan Burke was through the second Frost album, Experiments in Mass Appeal. And I read an interview with Jem Godfrey who said the reason he asked Deck to join the band was because of Deck's work in Darwin's radio. It had really impressed him. And so I decided I had to go hear Darwin's radio. And so I searched and searched, found a couple of clips on YouTube that were kind of old, low quality, but I could not find the CDs anywhere. But I knew a friend of a friend who knew Deck and got me in touch with him. And I bugged Deck until he graciously sent me two signed CDs of Darwin's Radio. And ever since then, we have stayed in touch. He's co-founder of two of my favorite prog acts, Darwin's Radio and Audioplastic. He's a multi-instrumentalist and vocalist who has written and recorded three of his own solo albums. And he's currently lead singer and co-guitarist with the band Dilemma. Please welcome to the show, Declan Burke. Welcome, Deck. Hey, hey, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Before we jump into any musical questions, just how are you doing, you know, being in the UK and COVID? It's a different world, isn't it? You know, things have certainly changed and I've lost all track of time. You know, it's, I say this year, it's probably 2020 and it, it's been a challenge and who wouldn't say that that's the case? But on, on a plus side, it's just been a fantastic year for music for me. I've, I've written so much music. That's great. You know, I've just been sort of holed up here. You can't really see it from here, but it's a weird setup of a room where I'm sitting now is sort of where I um, uh, do all the recording and my little vocal booths over there and all my gears scattered around. So I've been pretty much uh, here and um, working on the, the new Dilemma album. Yes. Super, super pleased about. Um, I've written a new a new album of my own stuff, um, which is all finished and recorded in the throes of being mixed. Nice. And then um, I played with a group years and years ago, back in the nineties, called Ragdoll, and um, we sort of uh, got back in touch in twenty twenty. Hey, how you doing? Why wouldn't it be great if we'd done some uh, original music? Because we only ever did covers, and uh, we've put an EP of, of four songs together. So that's going to be out next month, I think. Is this a band from your Irish days, or after you moved to the UK? Well, I was born and raised in Ireland, and I moved to the UK in '89. I began playing guitar; would have been about sixteen. So I was, yeah, I've been playing guitar for about a year when we moved to the UK. Okay. My parents ran pubs and. Part of that, they used to do a jam session on a, on a Tuesday night. And that's how I learned. It was like, I knew a few licks and I knew a few chords, but I looked at the fretboard and thought, makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. So what kind of songs were you doing in the jam session? It was um, blues rock stuff. We used to play Rocky Mountain Way and Gloria. Oh, yeah. All the rock standards. But the thing with that was, which was so great, you had to learn so fast because you get somebody up to sing and you go, uh, Gloria in G. And you're thinking, okay, I know, I know it in A. <laughs> so you had to learn rock really, really fast. And you, the sort of resident uh, bass player and, and drummer that were there, I, I learned a lot from them. So that was the beginning of me playing. Guitar first and then keyboard later? Well, um, back in Ireland, my, well, my mum and my dad um, played in the Irish show bands. So they used to play around uh, Ireland. My dad was a guitarist, um, but we had a piano at home and I used to just like, pound on, on, on the pianos as a kid and I had no interest at all in, in guitar. Mm-hmm. And Irish families, you know what it's like. It's loads of us and everyone's singing songs and stuff. So it was that sort of environment. Yeah. I think it was about 16 when I actually eventually pick guitar up and thought, hey, this is, this is cool. So where does Ragdoll fit into all that? Okay, so we moved to the UK. Originally, um, we lived in Birmingham for about six to eight months thereabouts. And then my parents got their first public house uh, placement in Northampton, where, where I live now. And um, the jam sessions um, were the, the, they were really popular back in the early 90s. I was playing there one night and these guys came in and I thought, wow, you know, long hair, rock and roll. It was the 90s. <laughs> and uh, they had been at a, um, a band uh, practice and the guitar player left. And they came to the pub for a, for a drink and the jam session was on and I was playing. And they came up to me afterwards and said, really like what you're doing. Do you want to join a band? And I was like, 
yeah, I do. <laughs> Very exciting. And that was that. <laughs> that is great. Like, yeah. We were playing five nights a week, just everywhere. Just like back then, the music scene was so vibrant. So we were really, really busy. And, you know, I think in that time period, that's where cut my teeth and understood, oh, that's how that relates to that. And, and, and that's, that's how it all came to be. So you went from playing at your parents' place to playing gigs five nights a week, like overnight? Well, it was probably over the course of a couple of years. You know, we, we, I was probably doing the jam sessions at my parents' place for a, maybe a year and a half, two years. Okay. The Ragdoll Band was, um, was more AOR. So it was uh, Journey, Van Halen, mm-hmm. Brian Adams, all that sort of stuff. Right. And that's kind of really the first time I got a microphone put in front of me because we'd get to the songs with the higher register stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go. That, that was it, you know, those songs. And that's where I, I would do the occasional song, but I still was just a guitar player. That sort of ran the, the course, I guess, right up until Darwin's Radio happened. So how do you go from there to Darwin's Radio? Well, I was introduced to... Mark Westworth would have been about 2002, maybe. Okay. He and Sean had just left Grey Lady Down, and a friend of mine knew them and knew that I was looking to do something different. The bass player in Ragdoll had moved to the States. The, the other two guys um, who had Irish roots actually moved to Ireland. The irony, I moved from Ireland to England, they moved from England to Ireland. It must be my aftershave, so I've got to do something about that. <laughs> But uh, they, they knew I was looking, so um, met up with Mark and Sean, and we, we got chatting. And um, that's when the, the prog lean came into play, because I was more straightforward 4-4. That's where, where I came from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd heard, like, uh, Turn It On Again, Genesis. I thought that's what Genesis was. Mark lent me all of the back catalogue, and it was like, yeah. what yeah. is this? Boom. Let me all of the rush stuff. And I thought, this is phenomenal. Why have I not heard of this before? We just started writing and writing and writing and we couldn't find a drummer. It took just forever to find a drummer. I think Mark saw an advert in a local music shop or something like that. And it was David. And David came down to the rehearsal room that we had. Right. And Dave just slotted right in. We did an EP called Pictures just to sort of test the waters. I don't think you can even find that anymore now. Yeah. In that same time period, we started writing for the, the first Darwin's album. Darwin's Radio, where did that name come from? Uh, Mark, um, when we were looking for a band name, he was reading Greg Bear at the time. And he said, I'm reading this book, Darwin's Radio, which that's a great name. Great book. We're all fans. Let me stop here and play a clip for the listeners. This is the race rewind from Darwin's Radio, the first album, Eyes of the World. That is Deck on vocals and guitar. That is really something to go from an AOR cover band to prog tracks like that. Yeah, well, credit where credit's due. The lion's share of the writing was Mark. Mark's one of these guys that just, he just has it. The thing about my musical development, and I still feel that I'm developing, is that all the way along, the musicians that I've played with along the way, there was a bit that I thought, that's something I've, didn't know before and learned. And certainly with Mark and the way that he wrote um, was just amazing. That song, he had all of the structure in place and I put the the melody on top of it, wrote the lyrics, a few guitar bits. Um, And as time went on, um, he encouraged me to start writing because I hadn't written stuff. You know, certainly on the the first album, a lot of it was Mark, Sean and, and David. Okay. With the vocal melodies from me. And I think by the time We'd done that first album. The bug bit me to start writing, and I would share ideas with with the guys, and from that point, start to grow. Up until then, I hadn't really written anything. That first album is really interesting to me because it's really bookended with two great prog tracks. 
that one, Erase Rewind, and then The Vast Within. The middle of it is kind of a a mix of different kind of styles, a lot of rock styles, maybe a ballad here and there, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the more ballad-esque stuff is probably stuff that I came in with. Okay. And David came in with um, Glass Tiger's Eye. Oh, wow. Um, So, yeah, it it was a bit of a mixed bag. And actually, it was during the the mixing of that album that our relationship with David came to an end. Okay. Mark and I wanted to do a big, big prog album. We thought, let's write just some epics. (laughs) Um, So it's going to be shorter, maybe three, four songs maximum. Right. I think David wanted to do more stuff like uh, Glass Tiger's Eye, that kind of direction. Okay. It was nothing personal because David's just, he's a phenomenal guy and an amazing musician. But it's just at that point, Mark and I felt this is the direction we're going in. Mm -hmm. Right. By the time we came to do the second album, there was a lot of work went into that one. Again, sort of basic structures of of, of those songs uh, Mark started to put together. And I became more confident and I came into that session with Breathe In. I pretty much had that sketched out. And then we worked as a band on the other songs. Nice. Let me play Breathe It In from the second Darwin's radio album, Template for a Generation. This is one of my favorite prog albums. I really like the three songs with the longer length, the prog stylings. And listeners, like I said in the intro, you're not going to be able to find these except for just a few cuts on YouTube, probably. These two albums were self-produced and are essentially out of print. Yeah, it was just so difficult for anyone to sign us up. Um, You know, we knocked on a lot of doors. Mm. It just didn't happen. Yeah, by the time that album was done, I was feeling quite frustrated about it. And I felt that the way that we could push that forward was to get on the road. And by that time, we had been to Rossfest in Pennsylvania. That was fantastic. Uh, that was probably in 2007. We actually played a couple of songs at that gig before the album was out to test it. And the reaction at Rossfest was just amazing. We, we couldn't believe it, to be honest. So did you fly over just for Rossfest or did you do any other gigs in the U.S.? It was just, yeah, just Ross Best. Wow. So many funny stories. I, I remember <laughs> when we arrived at the um, passport control, there was like this bendy stick thing with like what looked like an eye on the end of it. And Mark was in front of me on the passport control going through. Let's just say passport control are quite direct <laughs> when, you're, when you're coming into the US. <laughs> and Mark thought that it was one of these um, retina scan things, right? So he, he walks up to it and with his eye like this, and the guy behind the counter was like, are you trying to be funny? You know, what you tr-? And I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. They're going to pull us off into that room over there, and that's it. You're never going to see us again. Never to be seen again. <laughs> what happened to Darwin's radio? <laughs> so I'm curious, you were mentioning with Darwin's radio how difficult it was to get anyone to pick you up. And I'm wondering, like, if you were doing Darwin's radio again, does today's world change that with crowdfunding and self-publishing online and things like that? I think so. I, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do Darwin's radio again. Hmm. I've totally lost contact with Mark over the years. I don't know where he is. I've spoken to Sean a few times, and I know he, he would absolutely be on board to do it again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in that short period of time, you know, 2008 to, to where we are now, so much has changed. It's a different animal now, completely. Um, so yeah, that would have easily been um, an option and a route that we could have taken. Yeah. But by the end of that album, the frustration was set, setting in, certainly for me, and I just felt that the band could have been so much more, and I wanted to push it. I wanted us to be out there gigging. And I felt that way we'd start to build an audience. It would be slower. Sure, it would be slower, but we could have done that. At that point in time, we got noticed by other bands. Mark got picked up for IQ because they needed a guitar player. Yes. The the run-up to this, we were trying to promote uh, Darwin's Radio with the um, Eyes of the World album. And internet was new to me. 
everybody knows that I'm the biggest technophobe in the world. I struggle to use my phone. <laughs> so Mark was telling me, you go on these forums and you can chat in it. And what? So I type the stuff in and people, yeah, yeah, you do that. Then. Okay, fine. <laughs> so we were making contact with all of these people. One of the people along the way was Jem Godfrey. And he said some really nice things about the Eyes of the World album. And I'd commented back, you know, thanks very much, mate. Didn't know who he was. And uh, I thought well, it would be great to go and see them. And then in the run-up to this gig um, at the, the Scala in London, I think they'd announced that they were splitting up. I went down, you know, I thought it would be good to um, see the band. In the intermission, the guys uh, came out into the foyer bit where the bar was. And I went up and I said hi to, to John. I think I said hello to Andy. And then Jem was there and I walked up and said, hey, Jem, I'm Deck from Darwin's Radio. Thanks for all the, the nice comments along the way. And he said, Deck, uh, wait there. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and he was doing at the time this um, EP or it could have been a band and the, the name of it was Dear Dead Days. And he said, would you be interested in, in being part of it? And I went, yeah, yeah, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember the MySpace page was, it came up and it said, members, Jem uh, Godfrey. And a couple of days went by and it was Deck Burke. And then it was Andy Edwards and then John Jowett and then John Mitchell all back in. And I was like, so this is Frost, but with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that all started. And it, it really started to pick up momentum then. And like Jem uh, was sending around the demos um, for what would be the Experiments of Mass Appeal album. This is the song Dear Dead Days from the Frost album Experiments in Mass Appeal. So how much of the experiments in Mass Appeal album was finished or how much did you get to contribute writing to? Jem had written um, everything. He sketched everything out. Okay. When I arrived to do the vocals, um, he was still working on some lyrics for some songs. And then the chorus section for Dear Dead Days was a different section. Okay. We changed the chorus and I wrote the chord sequence with it we did it it was ridiculous we did it in about 10 minutes so it's like okay this isn't working right we'll we'll have to change that right what have we got and i'm like <laughs> and uh we we came up with that the two of us that just the chorus section and i think it's the only bit on experiments where i'm playing electric guitar is that right um john did did all, all your guitars i did the acoustic guitars and i think there might have been the odd word on was it toys but, you know, it was 99.9% Gemma done the whole thing. Okay. I remember vividly uh, traveling down there to do it. We'd uh, a week blocked out to do the vocals. We'd done it in two and a half days, and then we spent half a day doing the acoustics, and then we went to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you got to have priorities, right? <laughs> so Craig and Tony just purchased the Frost 13 Winners box set, and it's got a pretty lengthy description from Jim about Really, the process of going through experiments and mass appeal. You also played on the live and studio parts of the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like back to Rossfest. That was back to Rossfest. Um, and uh, we didn't have Andy with us. So Jem asked Nick to Virgilio, would, would he come in and do it? Right. And we rehearsed in some place in Philadelphia the night before. So we had a run through with Nick. Another hilarious story. The amps that they had in the room were just, well, I don't know what they were. They weren't really amps. John Mitchell was late coming in because I think he was maybe doing a gig with Arena or one of the other groups he was with. And he came in, you know, right at the end of the rehearsal session. And there was this hideous H&H combo thing. I still remember how much he was laughing, just like, this is, you, you're kidding me, right? You expect me to play to that? It was just horrendous. So I think Jem actually rang some um, rental company and said, I need a couple of marshals down here quick. Can you send them? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, and then it, was, then it was fine. We rehearsed with Nick, um, who was just an outstanding drummer. It's amazing you guys can pull off 
a full show at a Rossfest type thing with one night of rehearsal. Yeah. There was a lot of, I guess, a lot of practice by everybody at home. And Nick certainly had done his homework. He was like, he, he knew it inside out. When we got on stage, we felt confident. Do you notice a big difference playing the States versus playing in the UK? Oh, God. Yeah. We laugh and joke about this all the time, actually. The audiences, well, I've found in the UK can be a bit more reserved. And then you go to Europe and uh, it's a little bit more volume. Okay. You go to the States and they're standing on the chairs. Yeah. <laughs> and jump up and it's like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely noticed, noticed the difference. So, I grew up in Philadelphia going to a lot of rock concerts. That's being treated with kid gloves. <laughs> Aerosmith used to come through when I was in high school and for three years straight, they would get like a half hour into their set and somebody would throw some firecrackers up on stage and they would storm okay. off the stage. <laughs> Thank God. Let's do another one from Frost. This is one of my favorite all-time prog tracks. This is the dividing line from the Philadelphia Experiment. Do you feel like the reception of prog music in the UK is different as well? Because over here is really sort of off in a corner. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's the case in Europe? I don't know. The few gigs that I've done in Europe, we've always been received really well. Okay. 2018 with Dilemma, we were out with um, Sons of Apollo. Yes. And we did a three-week three tour with them in Europe. Mm-hmm. And every night was just next level, fantastic. And the Sons of Apollo guys, the masters of, of their craft. Right. And they had the audience in their hands there every night. And of course, nobody knew who we were. So it was, you were having to win people over every night. Okay. But even with that said, we, we always came away thinking, wow, the, the reaction was, was fantastic. That's great. For a support band, you know, they could have quite easily just sat there and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, the, the European audiences are, are really, really into it. We love prog music, obviously. That's why we have this show. But we don't see as many of our artists that we prefer live because it's just not economically feasible a lot of times for them to come over here to the States. And I'm just wondering if, if you see that experience from yourself as an artist as well. Yeah, definitely. We, I mean, we, we've spoken about it because uh, Colin would love to get Dilemma over to the States. I mean, obviously, this was pre-COVID. Um, but we looked at the logistics because the country is just so massive. How do you do it? Right. That makes sense. We would love to do it. From an economics perspective, do you see the record sales happening that would support a big tour like that? Because that's one of the things I've heard from other musicians. They're like, in Europe, I'll sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of records, maybe a million records. But in the States, I may sell 50,000 or 100,000 records total. So it just doesn't make sense from that perspective. Yeah, and and that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to name names, but I've spoken to a couple of really, really very, very high profile musicians. And they've told me they'll do an album. Sure, they'll make some money off the album. Yeah. But the thing is, you got the new artwork, and the new artwork is a new T-shirt. And a new T-shirt is a new merch sale. Right. Mm-hmm. This one person, I won't say it is, but said basically we're T-shirt salesmen. You know, we go out and we've, we've got the new merch. That's how we're making the money. Mm. Things like downloads and Spotify and all of this stuff has had such a massive impact on the industry, I bet you roll the clock back a bit further and compare. It's just night and day. Right. Mm-hmm. How we get around that is anyone's guess. I really, I don't know what the answer is to that. So we've covered the first two Darwin's radios. We covered Frost. And now you take some time to do your first two solo albums. Yeah. I'm not altogether sure how that sort of came about. I had been writing songs and I guess I just wanted to maybe put it a toe in the water and see how, how that would go. And by that point, I left Darwin's. I was concentrating on, on that. Right. Let me play a clip from your first album. This is Destroy All Monsters from the album of the same name by Deck Burke.
I would immediately say, you know, my first two albums, the mixing and the mastering didn't help. And I am at the moment thinking about picking the best songs of those albums and re- redoing them and remixing and re- remastering them. Oh. And I know a really good mixer that would be ideal to do that and maybe add in two or three new songs. Mm-hmm. The mix is a hard mix and it's, it's a shame because I feel there are some good songs in there. Were you intending this to be sort of a breakout after spending time in Darwin's and Frost? I didn't want to spend all of this time doing an album and then no support and it just falls away. Right. So I wanted to have a product that I could say, okay, well, I can get behind this and get out and play. So that, I think that's where I was probably coming from with getting the first um, couple of albums out and going. They came in pretty much quick succession of each other. I think the first one was 2010, and then the following year, the second one was out. Um, there is a period, what, of about three years here, where you're on about four or five different albums between Frost, your two solo albums, The Last, Darwin's Radio. There's a lot going on right here. Yeah, I like to keep busy with it. The crazy thing with all of that was, by that point, I was probably speaking with Simon Anderson and uh, talking about us doing something as a band. And I was looking, who were some great uh, prog musicians that I would absolutely love to do a group with? Scoured YouTube, looked up and down. I saw the Pain of Salvation DVD, it's the Dutch gig, okay. and Simon playing bass. And I just thought, oh my God, this guy's amazing. And I, I got in contact with him. I said, I'm going to cut to the chase. Are you interested in doing a new project? And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he knew me from Frost and he said, yeah, we'd love to do something. Have you got anybody in mind? And I said, um, I've seen this guy, this drummer playing with Neil Morse. He s- stood in for Mike Portnoy, who was Colin. I'm going to contact him and see what he says. And he might say, jog on, have a nice day. Right. I contacted him and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. He said, actually, I'm really good friends with uh, Christopher Field. And uh, shall I ask him as well? And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that's brilliant and uh, chris was interested mark westworth was going to play keyboards on that project okay and then it didn't happen with mark and we needed a keyboard player and again just chanced my arm took a go and contacted richard west and said we've got this project together and by then simon and i had um, there must have been 15 songs that we'd written and he said well no i'm not can you send me some stuff and i sent him uh, I think it was now, yeah. uh, which ended up on the Audio Classic album. And he said, yes, <laughs> I, I'm in. And that was going to be Alpha Flood? Uh, yeah, the, the songs that ended up on, all the, on the Audio Plastic album, that was Alpha Flood. Okay. This is the song Bulletproof from the Audio Plastic album, In the Head of a Maniac. Alpha Flood doesn't get off the ground, and so Audio Plastic just becomes you, Simon Anderson, and Richard West. You know, some, sometimes you can have the fantastic players and musicians together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the dynamic and, and the chemistry hits off between those group of musicians. Right. It became obvious um, that people wanted different things. There was no um, badness or animosity, but I think people had different expectations of what that project could be. Okay. Chris and Colin decided, no, look, we'll, we won't be involved. It just couldn't get everything to connect the way it wanted to. You know, it was just, look, it, it's not going to work. Okay, fair enough. Okay. You know, I'm still, obviously, I play in Dilemma with Colin, really good friends. Yes. Um, Chris and I, the text, or I'll text him every couple of weeks. You know, we, we've stayed in touch. So we, um, we were then, Richard, Simon, and I, with... Um, the songs for that project and we were trying to get a drummer and a bass player and um, Andy Edwards was going to do it with us for a while and then he couldn't do it because of circumstances and we were like time's now dragging on let's program the drums and Simon is a great bass player anyway so he played the bass mm-hmm. we, we changed the name obviously because it was different group musicians so um, that became the Audio Plastic album right and that's how that came to be Richard actually mixed and mastered that 
um, album. And then the writing continued. There's actually the second audio plastic album is written as fate would have it. Simon got him uh, really sick in cancer. Yeah, I remember that time. I remember his Facebook post. It was very sad. And it, ca- it came and went away, came back again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, just the, the phone calls that he and I would have, just constant contact. Yeah. He was scared. Sure. So I've traveled to Sweden a few times. And we had all of this music written, and it, it's all there. And, and hopefully at some point, you know, when Simon says, okay, I'm ready to face it and do it again, we can get that out there. It's a very, very strong album. In my opinion, it's better than the first one. That's great. Wow. Probably a little bit heavier. Nothing screaming or anything, because I, I can't do that. But they're just big, big songs, big choruses, super melodic, super heavy. Um, so hopefully at some point when Simon is ready to, to do that, we can you know get that album out there. Yeah, I'd be so in for that. I was going through your back catalog, and that album is the one that just really reached out to me. I was just wondering, in the making of video, uh, you guys were talking about how this was like a cinematic album, and I was wondering, that's a very curious use of words, because I've heard other artists use a similar description. Can you talk about where that came from? That would definitely be Simon's uh, take on everything. He's extremely good in the studio, and really good at pulling things together. He's got a love of John Barry, all of these great composers, loves all of that stuff, and had been experimenting with emulating that with strings mm. in Logic and Pro Tools. Maybe something like Distant Skies would be a great example of that because you have that thematic strings, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's what he wanted to, to bring into that. Keep the heavy, keep the hooks, and bring in that sort of cin- cinematic feel for it. That's a great introduction. Let's play Distant Skies off of the audio plastic album In the Head of a Maniac. I've always loved the way that album ended with Distant Skies. You've been doing such a darker, grittier album, a lot heavier. You know, the theme is in the head of a maniac. It's definitely got a manic kind of feel to it. And then that song is so positive, looking out to Distant Skies in the future. I've just always really enjoyed that. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. Well, I certainly would love to hear a second one as well, especially if it's even heavier than that one. Yeah. And we send our best wishes out to Simon and hope he's much better. Yeah, he's um, over the, the worst of them. That's great news. Yeah. Then after Audio Plastic, you go back and do Book of Secrets, your third solo album. And to me, it's very striking the difference between this album and the first two. I think I read in an interview that you said you approached the writing from guitar instead of keyboard. Yeah. It's so weird because as a guitar player, you think, you know, when I sit down to write a song, I pick the guitar up. And typically speaking, the way that I wrote the first two albums was little ideas in my head that I'd sing into my iPhone, come back, sit down at the piano and sort of sketch it all out and then begin to put the song together. And the guitars were almost like an afterthought. I need to put some guitars on here because they were written so close together. I mean, I was literally writing the second one. The first one was coming out. And then there was a little bit of a gap between Book of Secrets, and and I thought, no, 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 do you know what? This time around, I'm just going to sit down and come at it from a guitar point of view and actually just trying to come up with with some riffs and come at it at a completely different way. And then the the keyboards came in afterwards. Um, Carl Westholm did did some um, organ and stuff, but all the sort of synthesizers and RP stuff I did. Let's play the song Reflections off the solo album Book of Secrets from Deck Burke.
So at what point do the lyrics enter into things? Always last. I always shy away from lyrics. For, for me, it's, it's all about the melody. So I, I will write a song from the melody point of view. Personally speaking, I can always tell if a melody has been shoehorned in to fit with a lyric. And I personally, I hate that. Yeah, the lyrics came right at the end. And that is my least favorite bit. I hate doing the lyrics. So have you thought of doing just an instrumental thing or? I would love to do that. Years and years back, um, around about the same time I was doing Ragdoll back in the 90s, um, I played with an uh, instrumental band. <laughs> and we did um, Joe Satriani covers, uh, Steve Vai covers. I, I was the bass player, actually. The, the, the kid that was playing that stuff was like, I'd sometimes forget to play my bass part because I'd be standing there looking, oh, yeah, I've got to be playing as well. Okay, cool. <laughs> I would love to do that. I'd love to do some, maybe, maybe that's um, something for the future. Yeah. That's so interesting to me because one of the things you're known for is being a lead singer. And so do you find it easier to work with other people's lyrics? Okay. That's a really good question. And that probably leads into the whole dilemma thing. So Colin contacted me and said, we're in the studio doing an album. The singer's not with the band anymore. And the studio time is ticking can you come over and do the vocals for the album? And, you know, Colin's a good friend of mine. And I thought they sounded like they were in trouble. So of course, uh, the guys bought me my plane ticket, flew me to Holland, really looked after me. First time I met the rest of the guys and we're straight in the studio and they give me the lyrics. So here's, here's the lyric sheet. I'm like, right. Okay. Um, could we, uh, could we maybe change this bit here? I, I guess I was a 24 carat pain in the neck with, with some of that stuff. But I think they kind of appreciated it because they wanted maybe a, a native English speaker that take on, on the lyrics. And that's not to diminish anything they've done because a, a large portion of those lyrics, you know, the Robin, uh, the keyboard player wrote, they're fantastic. Um, but I think they just maybe wanted a little bit of a, a slant on, on that. So we, we did change some of that and, and I changed some of the melodies as well. So yeah, there I was in the studio with Dilemma, didn't know the songs, totally respectful because it was their, their music. Is that what you want? Do you need me to do that? Okay, that's good. Right. I'll change that. You know, that, that kind of thing. That sounds like some amazing serendipity, the way it all came together. Let's play a track from the Dilemma album, Random Acts of Liberation. This is the space between the waves. And I, I got sick during it. I um, got a really bad cold and I had to go home. Ugh. And then I came back two weeks later when I was, when I was better and when we, we, finished, we finished it off. I totally forgot about the album, uh, came back to the UK. Okay. Yeah, this would have been when I was working on Book of Secrets. And then totally forgot about it, talking to Colin about this, that, the other, no mention of this album. Uh, and Colin got in touch and went, uh, the album's done. Oh, fantastic. Great. Well, I can't, can't wait to hear it. Oh, we'll send you a copy. We're going on tour. Oh, fantastic. Well, guys, great. And he was, no, you're coming with us. I'm like, all oh, right. Okay. I get it. Right. <laughs> so it was weird. It was like, all of a sudden I was in dilemma, but I, I was pleased because, you know, I, I love those guys. You know, they're, they're, they're such good fun. This is such a strong album. I was really impressed when I heard it. It's such a wide range of styles. It can be prog and multi-movement, and then it can be a ballad, and then it can be just straight-ahead rock. And it is so clean. It is done so well with Richard Mouser as the engineer. Yeah, when the guy sent me it back, that was exactly my reaction to it as well. I thought, this is clean. It's one of those albums where you think, okay, I want to listen to the bass now, and you, you kind of adjust your ear, and it's like, there it is. Yeah. You know, all of the instruments, they all sit in their little... Mm-hmm. Uh, frequency range so he, oh, it's astounding so he, he's going to be doing the, the new album as well the musicianship on this album is great and this is the first time i'd ever heard colin on drums he really stands out 
Let me play one of the proggier tracks off this album. This is The Inner Darkness from Random Acts of Liberation by Dilemma. Now, one of your solo album songs, Intervals, yeah. got pulled into this album. Yeah. I, I think maybe what happened was while I was there, um, I was telling them that I'm doing my album at home and I was playing them some of the demos and they really liked Intervals. Yeah. And they said, could we put it on this album? And I was just like, yeah, sure. That's great. And Paul uh, did a really great guitar solo on there as well. And it sounds dilemma. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, I'm going to squeeze one more in here. This is Openly, again from the album Random Acts of Liberation by Dilemma. That song particularly, when we were out on the Sons of Apollo tour, bearing in mind who we're supporting, you know, and it's pretty put on, we weren't sure how that was going to be received, but that was one of the ones that went down the best every night. Okay. The thing I love about that as well is that it's the way that Colin almost pulls against the... Yes, it has that, that shuffle beat in the verse. Yeah. It's almost like a 6-8 in 16th notes, but the rest of you are still playing 4-4. Four, four. I love that. Yeah. He's a master at that. Yeah, gorgeous album. So then you go out, you get to do support for Sons of Apollo. There'll be others, hopefully. Is Dilemma planning any future touring or anything like that? There were several um, festivals that we were due to be part of, which have been cancelled. Mm-hmm. I think the next one is um, Prognosis, but I think that's now been pushed back to 2020. They did announce that. Yeah. And we were in chats with um, George uh, Rossfest. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that that will be the case and we can get over to the States and, and do some shows because when we were talking about that, it was, okay, well, if we get across and do Ross Fest while we're there, let's maybe block out a few weeks and see yeah. if we can do some maybe smaller club gigs and get out there and do that. So That's very good news. So in the meantime, during lockdown, it sounds like you're still writing. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the great thing is that you can still create and um, you can have a, a catalogue of stuff to draw on. And hopefully things will abate and, and uh, circumstances will improve. I've always been the um, positive personality. I'm never glass half full. I'm always like, well, I'm almost on my way to my next beer because this one's nearly finished. It's getting warm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, you're in England. Yeah. Cold beer is an American thing. Sorry. So if I summarize your future projects coming out, it starts with that EP from Ragdoll next month and new dilemmas in there. Yeah. You've got your own solo we're going. Yeah. And Audio Plastic 2 is written, and perhaps sometime in the near future might see the light of day. I really, really hope so. It might be a really good excuse, actually, for me to give Simon a call and go, come on, mate, let's get this cooking. And in a related topic, the musician Fish put out a discussion about a couple of months ago now about how Brexit is affecting UK musicians now and in the future. Is that something you see affecting you long term? It's something that's actually directly affecting me right now, especially with, with my album. And it's recorded, being mixed. And it may be that I haven't got label support on it now. <sighs> because of all of this, we're going to get hammered with um, import and export duty now, whereas before that didn't exist. Yeah. And I think from what I can hear, a lot of um, distributors, so they're waiting, they're holding on to stock to see how things play out a bit. So that all reverses backwards all the way back to the artist who's trying to put a new one against the flow. Right. Right now, I'm thinking about how that's going to play out. I'm going to talk to some buddies and see what's the best way to do it. Because I don't think there's going to be very many labels right now looking to sign 
artists given the current state. That is awful. That is a real shame to hear. I will get it out. It may be that it's not actually on a physical CD. It may be that it's just a download. At the moment, I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm going to have to finance everything myself. One of the things that I'm interested in, just in general for you, Deck, while you're sitting at home in COVID times creating, there's some really great prog records that I think were ruined by the mix. I'm interested in, like, how do you like to record? As far as um, workflow and, and production and whatnot, I feel as time has gone by, I've, I've got better in that arena that I'm able to pull things together in an easier way, whereas previously it was a real struggle for me. I learned from the ground up. And I think right now, as it's always been, it's melody first for me. Mm-hmm. I just love that feeling of when you have that build up and then you finally get to the chorus and the chorus goes, Shazam! Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm using um, Logic Pro X to sketch everything out in. It's definitely more guitar-based these days. I've gone back to, let's approach it from a guitar angle first. That's interesting that you're focusing on guitar right now. How do you like to record your guitar? I've seen some people like just swear by like record everything dry and then do all your effects in the doll. Um, and then I've also seen some people that I really respect say, you know what, we're going to do the entire audio chain for real and then we'll just mic the amp. And, and how do you like to record guitar? I'm using a, a Kemper. I've got some really um, nice plugins. I think the Kemper, it's as good as the um, profile you've got. You know, if you've got a rubbish profile, it's not the unit's fault. So number one is get yourself some really good profiles the two i'm using i've got a really nice um boogie uh, 2c plus you know i love petrucci's tone mm-hmm. so i tracked down a really good profile for that and i'm also using an evh 5153 um so what i tend to do is for rhythm guitars i will hard pan left and right use one amp on one side and use one amp on the other side and then it may be that i double those up as well some of the tones, I'm maybe using a little bit of the effects from, from the Kemper, but it's not overly wet. Mm, right. And then using Chris Lord Algie guitars plugin for delays. And then I'm using um, it's a Waves Real ADT on one of the guitars. And what that does is it sort of it moves the spectrum of where it's sitting in the field. So if you've got maybe a left and right, maybe another left and right, put it on one of, on one of those and you can blend it in. It's not overtly obvious, but it's one of those things where you take it out of the mix. It's like, oh, right. it's kind of the way I approach vocals as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I picked up from my time with Frost was the way that Gem would layer vocals. It's almost like a pyramid. So you've got your, your main vocal on, on the top and then the sliders in decreasing volumes as you go down with stacked up vocals underneath pull them right down to zero and then lift them up gradually, gradually until you can just about hear that's in there um, to the point that if they weren't there, you'd miss it. Mm-hmm. Before we let you go, Deck, would you like to give us two or three recommendations of songs you're listening to? Well, strange enough, I've actually gone back and re-found uh, some albums. I've always been a massive Alan Wilder fan, the guy that was with um, Depeche Mode. I love uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion. I think that's a great album. The one that came after it, even though Alan wasn't with Tibesh anymore, Ultra. I always thought it was a really cool album as well. So I've sort of rediscovered those two albums again. Okay. From the prog world to you know, ACT, I, I love them. Kim Stenberg with um, Magic Pie. I love Magic Pie. They were at Ross Fest when we were there with Darwin's Radio, and I was stunned. I love what Kim does with uh, Magic Pie. Really, really great stuff. A couple of people that I know that are Brits um, listen to a lot of Car Park North. Oh! <sighs> Which album do you really like from them? Because I've—I think I've only picked up one. It's um, all things to all people. It's got Berlin, Human, Fireworks. Okay. John Mitchell introduced me to them. Uh, we we were in the car somewhere, and it came on, and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, they're brilliant. That's great. I'm listening to stuff like um, BT, like a bit of Devon as well, like a bit of heavy, um, all, all sorts of stuff. If it's got a good melody, then I'm, I'm in. That's great. Mm-hmm. Declan Burke, we cannot thank you enough. This was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. We would love to have you back at any point. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Hopefully one day we'll get to see you at a concert. Yes. Yes. And we shall crack beers. Yes, we shall crack beers. Thanks, sir. Have a good evening. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Enjoy your night. As we exit, 
Don't forget that you can find us on Twitter at UP3Show, or you can contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you folks about what kind of topics you'd like for us to cover here on the show. If you want to support us, it's easy. You can support us non-financially by subscribing on Podbean at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Also, please take a moment to leave us a review. This makes sure that the show pops up whenever other people search for prog-related podcasts. And finally, you can support us financially, and we would sincerely appreciate it. We have a coffee account over at ko-fi.com slash up3show. If you throw us a few coins over there, it can help pay for the hosting that we use and make sure that we don't have to take down old episodes. Hey folks, Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.